back. We're only going to look at the first three verses this morning. And we're going to take a break for Christmas next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back at Thessalonians after the Christmas, uh, well, this next, this next Sunday. And then we'll pick it back up for the new year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll find that on page 987 in the Pew Bible. But before we read God's word, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that like the Thessalonians, we would uh, take it for what it is, the word of God, your word to us. And Lord, we pray that we would take it seriously, as it is the word of God, and that you would see fit to make it... uh, Make an impression upon us that we might uh, live lives that are pleasing to you in every way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And write its truth upon our hearts this morning. What is God's will for you? This is a common question that Christians ask. And it's an important question that we should ask. Often, When the question is asked, we're commonly thinking maybe uh, of our career choice. What would God have me do with my life? How can I serve him? Uh, What would be the best choice? Or we might think about it in reference to choosing a spouse. Uh, Should I marry this person or or not? Uh, We tend to want to know the specifics of God's will for our lives. And those questions, what should I do with my life? Should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or not? Those are questions that are important questions in life, for sure. Now, most everybody here has already answered those questions of uh, career and, and spouse, but throughout your life, you're continually faced, even on a daily basis, with the question of what God would specifically have you do in any given situation. At least you should be asking that question if you're a believer. And it is certainly the the right question to be asking, what is God's will for my life specifically? Well, today uh, I want us to move away from the specifics. When we talk about God's will for our lives, I want us to move away from asking, first of all, what is God's will for my life specifically for, for me, for you, as you ask that question about yourself. And I want us to, to broaden that out uh, to what is God's will for not just myself specifically with my particular circumstances and gifts and talents, to what is God's will for every Christian? What is God's will for our lives, the, the, the general principle that applies to every believer in Jesus Christ? What is God's purpose for every believer? What is, what does he want? What is he after? What is, what's he doing in our lives as believers? And when you understand God's general purpose for every believer, for every Christian, then it will be much easier to discern 
what God's will is specifically for your life. The first question you need to answer is, what is God's purpose for every believer in Jesus Christ? And that's what we want to explore today because verse 3 tells us, tells us exactly what God's will is for all believers. This is the will of God, verse 3 tells us, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So we're going to explore this. First, I want to uh, ask the question and, and, and uh, explore this for a moment. What is sanctification? What is this we're talking about? And then, how, it is, how is it the will of God? What is the will of God? Now first, what is sanctification? This is, a, a very, of course, a very theological and religious word. You never hear it outside of a church. You never, you know, when you're uh, in business, nobody's talking about sanctification. Uh, or, it, or, or that word never comes up in the English language, except in church or connected with the Bible or religion. Sanctification. It's a big theological word. Our English word, sanctification, comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. In fact, sanctification and holiness, it's the same Greek word in the Bible. Sanctification means holiness. Sanctification is what we refer to as, as the process of becoming holy. But what does the word holy mean? You know, we use that word a lot in the church. Uh, we... we talk about the Holy Bible. We talk about all kinds of things as being holy. God is holy. But what does it really mean? Well, I won't go into all the boring language studies and how uh, those experts in language have figured out the etymology of the word holy from the Hebrew, etc. But to just cut to the chase, the word holy means set apart or devoted. For example, when you read the Old Testament and uh, books like Exodus where God is giving instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and all the different uh, vessels that go there and the priest's garment and the perfumes and the oils and the incense and, and all these things, they're described as holy. Well, they're set apart for a special use. They're dedicated. They're devoted to a certain thing. You think about... Uh, the priest's garments. They had specific garments that they were to wear when they were serving in the tabernacle. These weren't their everyday garments. They were specifically made for this special use. And they put those on when they went to serve in the temple. There were holy vessels that Moses and the, the craftsmen made for use inside the temple. And they weren't to be used for anything else except the service of the temple. There was a specific way to make the incense that was burned in the, the temple. And also uh, a specific uh, way that you made the perfumes that were used. And you were not allowed to use that normally. The recipe was special. It could only be used in worship. It was devoted just to worship of God, just to use in the tabernacle. The Sabbath is holy. You, know, you read about that throughout the book of Exodus and, and throughout the, the whole Bible for that matter. The Sabbath is a day dedicated, devoted to the worship of God. On that day, we're not supposed to engage in our normal uh, everyday activities. 
like work. We're supposed to rest and worship on the Sabbath day. That's what it is. It's set apart. It's a holy day. A day set apart and devoted to that. Not to just mundane secular purposes. So to be holy means to be devoted to God. It means to be devoted. God is holy in that he is devoted to himself. In the persons of the Trinity, each person of the Trinity is completely devoted to the other persons of the Trinity in this you know, mind-blowing, very difficult-to-understand dynamic that the Trinity has that's not like nothing else in the universe. But each person of the Trinity is completely dedicated to one another. So holiness for us means a deeply personal, intense, loving devotion to God. A belonging to Him that is irreversible, unconditional, without any reserve on our part. It means to be entirely His, so that all we do and possess are His. We're like those vessels in the temple, or those priest garments. We're only to be used for God. We're giving ourselves completely to Him. Notice how Paul begins this section. He's talking to the Thessalonians. He says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he's encouraging them to be more holy, to be more devoted to God, to give yourself over to him, to do exactly what is pleasing to him, what he's told you to do, and to refrain from those things that he's told you not to do. Being devoted to God, being holy, means that you want to live your life to please him. You're devoted to him, and you don't want to disappoint or displease him in any way. You think about how the Bible describes our relationship with the Lord. It's often described as a, as a marriage, right? You know, we use that kind of imagery throughout the Bible. The prophets used it quite often. Think specifically of the book of Hosea. God is very disappointed in the relationship he has with his people. And Hosea marries a prostitute. He becomes a living example of the relationship that Israel has with the Lord. They have been unfaithful to him. They have committed spiritual adultery. They have played the prostitute themselves. And that's the message that Hosea has given him. They are not devoted to him. That was the problem. God wanted them to be devoted to him. That was his will for their lives. And then we get to the New Testament, places like Ephesians 5, where the relationship between a man and a woman is described in, in terms of the relationship Christ has with his people, his church. We'll look at that more in a moment. But you think about marriage. When a man and a woman uh, commit themselves to one another, they get married, they, they vow, they make vows to one another. They're going to be belong to one another exclusively. When you get married, you're ruling out all the other possibilities. You know, people who are married, they make that joke, you know, just because I'm on the diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu and all that sort of thing. And that's wrong. When you commit yourself to the other person, you're com committed completely to that person because it is a picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church, completely dedicated to one another. And Christ is never unfaithful to us. So just like that, picture we get from our earthly marriages when we make those vows to love one another, to cherish one another in joy and sorrow, in sickness and health, 
in plenty and want till death do us part. That's the same kind of relationship that we're called to have with the Lord. That's what it means to be holy, to be completely given over to Him, to be exclusively His. And when we sin, we're committing spiritual adultery. We're being unfaithful to Him. We're saying, no, I, 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 want, I want to go and do this over here, not what you want. I don't, want to, I don't care about pleasing you anymore. I'm going to go do what I want to do. That's spiritual adultery. Back to Hosea and the other prophets in the Old Testament. So sanctification, holiness, is what God is doing in our lives. It's a work of his grace. And that brings us to the second thing that I want to explore. How is this God's will? It's God's will that we be devoted to him. How, how is it God's will? There are many places in the scriptures that tell us that this is God's will for our lives. Ephesians chapter 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's his purpose. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, that you be holy and blameless before him. That's what God is doing in your life if you're a Christian. That's what's supposed to be happening. You're supposed to be growing in holiness, more and more pleasing to the Lord. And that's why Jesus came into the world. You know, we're singing here about Jesus being born. It's not just a sweet story about a little baby. It's about a Savior, a Savior. We need saving from sin. Look at the angel's words to Joseph. When Joseph was found out that Mary was with child, he thought, well, you know, I'll quietly divorce her, break this contract that we had to be man and wife. But the angel appears to Joseph, and he explains the situation to him. And the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save us from our sins. And then the, when, the angel, uh, when the angel appears to the shepherds, what does it say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save us from sin. We think, yes, the penalty of sin, I'm forgiven for my sins. That's, that's part of it. That's true. But there's more to it than that. Jesus not only came to cleanse us from sin to forget, so we, we might be forgiven of the guilt of sin, but he also came and died to free us from the power of sin. Sin is no longer our master, Paul explains in places like Romans. And one day, Jesus intends and will free his people from even the presence of sin. See, we're, we're freed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. That's why he came. That's his purpose for coming. And it's his purpose for us. Back to that Ephesians 5 passage. Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Once again, holy and without blemish. That's God's purpose. That's why Jesus came, so that we would be holy, completely devoted to him, not straying to sin. Colossians 1. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Again, God's purpose, God's will for every Christian is that we be holy and blameless, that we be completely devoted and not commit spiritual adultery by following sin. Jesus didn't come to earth and die and rise from the dead to give you permission to sin. A lot of people may not think that way, but they act that way. Their logic is this, well, I've gotten the, I've gotten the fire insurance, you know, I've I've said a prayer, you know, I walked an aisle, I said a prayer, I've checked the box, I'm good. I've been in a lot of hospitals and where people are dying and it's, it's alarming when you think that, and, and, and I've seen this happen, that people say, well, I've, I prayed a prayer, their lives never changed after they prayed that prayer. I mean, they say the sinner's prayer like it's some magic formula of salvation. They think because they have done this act that they're good now. They've got, they've got the certificate. And they have a pass to get into heaven when they die. But they haven't, they haven't done anything else to show that their lives are devoted to Christ. If that's the way you're thinking, like I've seen people say that actually, then that's just, that's just a, the equivalent of a one-night stand, isn't it? If we're talking about terms of spiritual adultery and we're supposed to be completely devoted to the Lord, we're completely His, I will be your God, you will be my people. You know, if we're supposed to be in that covenant relationship with Him, but we're thinking, hey, I'm going to get what I want out of Jesus... I want, to, I want to go to heaven when I die, but we don't want to give ourselves in any way back to him. That's a one-night stand, isn't it? That's what people do these days. They hook up with somebody. They get their, uh, what they want out of it. They're not really interested in the relationship at all. And they, they go their separate ways the rest of their lives. That's not a relationship. And that's not why Jesus came to earth. That's not why he died. He died so that you could have a relationship with him. He died so that you could be freed from sin, not follow sin, not chase after it. If we think that we're just going to get heaven out of this, and that's all we're after, without having any continuing relationship with him, that's just sexual immorality. Spiritual, spiritually speaking. It is interesting that the next thing in this passage is 
Paul addressing sexual immorality, and he means physical sexual immorality because that was a, a problem in those days as it is in our day. But it does go along with spiritual immorality as well. God's will for us, and the reason he saves us, is to save us from sin so that you won't be a slave to sin anymore. We tend to think, well, I want my sins. I want to follow these things. I want to do what I want to do. That's the way we are. We don't understand that it's not in our best interest to chase after those sins. It's destructive to us, to our souls, to, to our lives, to follow after sin, to be unfaithful to the Lord. Well, as I said before, when we have this attitude of, of understanding and, and we're committed to what God's purpose is for us, to follow after holiness, to be devoted to him, and we understand that's the general purpose he has for our lives, well, that makes it easier for us to discern what are the specific, specific uh, will is for our life. What does God want me specifically to do with my life? Look at that quote on the front of the bulletin. I highly commend this book to you. It's the best book I've read on. I haven't read every book on sanctification, of course, but this is one of the best ones I've ever read, Devoted to God by Sinclair Ferguson. Very helpful. He says, if sanctification is not my priority, then it should not surprise me if I find my Christian life to be dogged with frustration. For in this case, I am seeking, consciously or not, to withstand the eternal purposes of God. I'm missing out on the central privileges of the Christian life, namely glorifying and enjoying him. So we need to settle the issue of our priorities. If God has committed himself to change our lives, to changing our lives, to sanctifying us, then wisdom, not to mention amazed gratitude, dictates that we should be committed to that too. Otherwise, God's will and my will are in competition with each other. And that's so true. When your will and God's will are in competition with, with one another, it's, a, it's miserable. The more you're in competition with God, uh, as, as far as the will is concerned, the more miserable you will be. So Paul encourages the Thessalonians and, and us as well. Verse 1 Brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you, to, how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. That's an encouragement to us because they needed to do it more and more. They weren't there yet. And none of us are here either. We, we, uh, we are in a process of becoming more and more holy that won't be completed until the Lord Jesus returns. But it has got to be a priority. Paul was telling the Thessalonians to make this a priority in your lives, to be devoted to God, to live a life pleasing to God more and more. So that's the question. Is your priority today to be devoted to God if you're a believer? Sometimes we can get off course, and it's good to hear this and to say, you know what, I need to reprioritize and to give my life to the Lord, to, to devote myself to him more than ever. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian here today, then you're at cross purposes with the very reason that you were created. 
We were created to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and if you're not devoted to him, you're, go, you're living your life independent of him, you're not fulfilling any of the purpose that God has for humanity. And you'll never know true joy and satisfaction in life until you're in a right relationship with your creator. So I encourage you, if you're not a believer today, to make that a priority in your life. When you make it a priority to put sin to death and to live a life pleasing to God because you're devoted to him, then you will be following the broad purpose that God has for your life. And as I said before, then once you're committed to following that broad purpose of holiness, of devotion to God, then you'll be better equipped to discern what the specifics are for your life. For example, say, say you're asking, what career should I choose? Well, let the, let the principle be the guiding influence there. Will the career that I'm considering, will I be able to be devoted to God in that career? Is that the way that I can maximally use my gifts and abilities for God? God has given us all gifts and abilities. Is the career I'm in the best way that I can be devoted to him and bring him glory and to know him? When it comes to the question, of should I get married? Should I marry this person or that person? Are they, the other person, are they also committed to being devoted to God? Is the relationship one which will encourage my devotion to God? And, and can I be an encouragement to their devotion to God? You see how the, that broad purpose for every Christian will help you understand what the specifics are for your own life. Should I move to another city or country? Well, can you, better be, can you be better devoted to God there? Can you better please the Lord there? So when you're trying to discern these things, sometimes we ask the specific question without understanding the broad principle of being devoted to God. Well, it really gets down to the question, do I trust the Lord with my life? Because that's where the rub is, isn't it? You know, I'm going to devote myself to the Lord. I'm going to put my life in his hands. Do I trust that he is telling me the best way to live my life? Do I trust that he is going to guide me down the path that is the one that is best suited for me? Well, the answer to that question is yes, God is. He is committed to freeing you from sin. He is committed to, and that's his purpose in, in life, is to free you from the penalty, the power, and ultimately the presence of sin. So yes, you can trust him with your life. May God grant us grace to, to trust him with our lives and to not wander from that because we are prone to wander, prone to think we want the things of the world when what God has for us is so much better. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to trust you in all things on a daily basis, to ask each day what you would have us to do. How can we be devoted to you in our families, in our jobs, in, in every relationship that we have, in, in the way that we drive our cars, in the way that we 
uh, engage in social media. Lord, our lives are so full of different circumstances. We pray that we would be devoted to you in all of them. And Lord, we pray that we would enjoy you, that we would know you better and come to know what it means to really glorify you and enjoy you with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.